from KQED. There is a narrative that sometimes takes over, that the migration of people of color, especially African-Americans, to suburban Antioch is a migration of poor blacks from the inner city moving in mass to a white suburb. But that narrative is incomplete. You have the early settlers. The early settlers, um, you know, African-Americans that came to Antioch in the early 90s, early 2000s, and they've been out here, okay? Um, and they, they came out here to escape what they saw in Oakland and Richmond. They wanted the suburban dream. Safe neighborhoods, good schools, a better life. That's what Pastor Lamont Francis wanted. He grew up in San Francisco, in Bayview Hunters Point. His mom was on Section 8, and he grew up poor. Now he's a middle-class pastor with a growing congregation in Antioch. Lamont says, yes, rising prices in cities played a role, especially more recently. A new wave of African-Americans come, and a lot of them are low-income, and a lot of them came out here because they were displaced, you know, and the process of gentrification happened in the, uh, you know, Oakland and Richmond and urban cities. So they came out here and they were promised one thing and they came out here and got another. Promised, he says, a fresh start, a chance to own a home or even rent something bigger than a tiny apartment, a chance to raise kids on quiet, peaceful cul-de-sacs. No matter what their paycheck, black people came to the suburbs for the same reasons white people did over half a century ago, the suburban American dream. What they didn't expect was what happened when they arrived. They run into not only uh, angry whites that want their town back, but also African-Americans that say, you guys are messing us up. And, and, and so now they get this, this pushback from African-Americans that have been out here before that are telling them also to go back. So it's, it, it's complicated. Even though it happened for him, Lamont knows a better life isn't as simple as packing up your belongings and moving across rolling hills from the inner cities of San Francisco, the flatlands of Oakland and Richmond, to this suburb on the edge of the Delta. But Lamont is a pastor, so it's probably no surprise that he believes that there is one thing that can help, Black church. It's kind of fitting that this story, which is in part about the role of black church in a new homeland, takes place in a city called Antioch. It is, after all, a biblical name. There is no way you can have the city of Antioch and name it after the one that is in the Bible and not have Jews and Gentiles, blacks and whites and brown, uh, getting along. Everybody, if we are actually going to live up to the name of the city. Antioch was the place Christians were first called Christians. Father, you are the Prince of Peace, and that there only can be peace, Father, if we have you on the throne of our hearts. As we depart from here, but not from you, we pray that you give us traveling grace to our separate homes of abode till we meet again. This be our prayer in Jesus' name. Let's all together say, Amen. Pastor Lamont Francis is the pastor at Delta Bay Church of Christ in Antioch. The church motto? where believing is belonging. He preaches in a long room in a converted warehouse. It's got low ceilings, rows of office chairs, and a booming, sometimes screeching sound system. People move toward the front of the room to pray with church elders. They hold hands and whisper. A woman sobs, weeps in a really naked way. This happens every Sunday I come to church. Someone breaks down different reasons. Someone's sick, or their kid is struggling, or maybe working has worn them thin. A hundred little reasons to cry. And this 
It's a place that it's okay. Another woman stands holding a box of Kleenex, ready to pass them out on a moment's notice. Start the healing process. It's a process. It's not going to happen overnight. It's a process. But start it. Start it. Look up. Look up to him. As the black middle class moved to the suburbs and, and then the gentrification of the ur urban inner cities, people were coming in just to have worship or service, but they were not actually being the salt of the community. Lamont calls this the commuter church, community church dilemma. As waves of outmigration move people from historically black cities to the suburbs like Antioch, they would often commute back to cities like Oakland on Sunday mornings. That's commuter church. The commuter church is when you have people that do not live in that community that attend a, a local congregation. On the flip side, Pastor Francis says, is community church, something that had to be built out here. But how do you do that? How do you build community church in these new places? Turns out you start anywhere you can. So we had church in Starbucks, um, you know, um, restaurants, and we had uh, church in uh, the Antioch Library. Uh, we had church outside. Uh, there were times we had nowhere to go, and we just went to somebody's living room. So it was really grassroots. And as gas prices went up, our membership went up. <laughs> Welcome to American Suburb. Stories about the other side of gentrification told through one town on the edge of the Delta. I'm Sandia Dirks, and this is Chapter 3, How to Survive an Exodus. This city, Antioch, in the Bible is the place for the first place they were called Christians. So I really believe spiritually there's a special placement for this city, and I think God dies in his heart. Not that he loves it more, but I think his desire is to do something great in Antioch. That is Pastor Kirkland Smith. He came to Antioch in 2001, one of the early waves of African-Americans to move for the same suburban dream that brought so many here. You had a young family, and we were looking for something that was affordable. He was living in Fremont, a Bay Area city near San Jose, close to the heart of tech. We wanted to live in Fremont. You know, it was where our church was, where my job was, and where our network was, and uh, some business endeavors, and all our friends. But we knew we couldn't afford Fremont. Obviously, you can't afford Fremont. San Francisco's out of the question. When he moved out here at first, his family commuted back to their church in Fremont. One reason, he was on staff there. And he liked his modest role. Not the head guy, but part of the church leadership. Another reason? None of the churches in Antioch felt like a good fit. God had told me to just introduce myself to some of the local clergy, black and white churches. There weren't many black churches. But when I went around, I, I saw that one, there weren't many, and two, they were just doing church. But our church was very community-based. We were doing programs, food and clothing, you know, recovery programs. Um, we had a library, you know, job training program. We had all that stuff going out of our church, and I didn't see any of that here. And I really began to felt compelled that this city needed that. He saw a need, but it was more, he says. In the end, the reason he built a church out here was simple. He says he was called by God. It was no question that God was telling me, I'm talking to you, and I'm speaking about Antioch, and I'm speaking now. Pastor Smith says back in the early 2000s, Antioch was different. 
I was here when there were no people of color here. Very few. When you saw them, you waved. You know, you really made eye contact like, hey, you know, and um, and whether you knew them or not, it was it was something that caught your eye because you didn't see really any minorities here at all. And it wasn't easy being different in this suburb. I wouldn't even say a generation, but maybe a couple of decades before that, you know, when it, and it got dark, you know, blacks weren't really welcome here in Antioch. Antioch had been what was known as a sundown town. After the sunset, if you were black, there was an implicit rule not to get caught on city streets. But that was changing. It had to change. There were minorities, Hispanics and Asians and blacks that were beginning to buy out here. And I think some of the older residents, at least at that time, were having to deal with the reality that there were going to be some other people in the city that didn't look like them and maybe didn't even grow up you know, rural, uh, with rural mindsets like the city people that are, that are coming from the inner city. While Pastor Smith moved here from Fremont, he says it wasn't the first time he felt displaced. I cannot speak directly towards Oakland or Richmond. I can speak directly towards San Francisco. I grew up in the Western Edition, Fillmore. The Fillmore was a historically black neighborhood in San Francisco. And if you talk to people that grew up in Fillmore, it was a proud community. You know, we were some of the proudest uh, homeowners or community leaders or, or people that made up that community. We lived there, went to worship there, went to school there, you know, got involved in community organizations there. You know, our whole lives were embedded in our community, you know, shopped there, went to the movies. We didn't go to Stonestown. We shopped downtown, which was still, to me, you know, a block or two from Fillmore. And, um, you know, that was a devised plan to move blacks out of the Western Edition. It was, it was a plan, and you cannot make me believe that wasn't an exodus. There is evidence to back up this claim of exodus. In the 60s and 70s, programs such as redevelopment and urban renewal would use policies like eminent domain to tear down homes owned and lived in by African Americans, displacing whole city blocks and eventually whole neighborhoods. That had a deep and lasting effect on San Francisco's African-American population, which is now a dwindling 4 to 6 percent. Across the Bay, Oakland is seeing its own population shift. It's long been known as a black city, the birthplace of the Black Panthers. Between 2000 and 2010, Oakland's black population declined 25 percent. That trend is only increasing. During roughly the same time, Antioch's black population grew 30%. It's not like those are the same people exactly, but more and more are making this journey. When we return another migration story, one man's move from Oakland to the suburbs and the struggle to find black community and church once he arrived. Support comes from the San Francisco Foundation, proud sponsor of American Suburb. The San Francisco Foundation works with its donors and community partners on a bold equity agenda for greater racial and economic inclusion for everyone in the Bay Area. History tells us that when community leaders, nonprofits, donors, residents, and business partners work together, all Bay Area residents benefit. Learn more at sff.org. Everybody that came out here, you know, they, they get in the picture. Thomas Hutchins came to Antioch from Oakland 13 years ago, in part because his mother-in-law lived out here, one town over in Pittsburgh. But also the same old reason. 
They have the American dream and the shit. I mean, it's part of my language. <laughs> Thomas was part of a later wave of black migrants. He came here in the mid-2000s. Those that came later were often poorer and more likely to move into affordable housing. But here's the thing. Those waves aren't really that different. They all came for the same suburban myth, a better life. I mean, it's, it's, it's better everything, to tell you the truth. I mean, it's, it's pretty much just for the kids, you know. It's just, you gotta start thinking about yourself. You know, I, I, I left friends behind to raise a family. So you wanna make a change, you move, you gotta move yourself, move your mind. Think outside the box. You know, I got seven kids, seven. So this ain't a roller coaster, this is a rodeo, every day. Thomas is standing in a strip mall outside Word of Life Church on a Wednesday afternoon. This isn't his congregation. He tells me he's shopping for a new church. He grew up going to church every week. And he even commuted back to Oakland for a while to attend service with his mom. But the drive was long, and the church lost its lease. Another church he attended for a while, the pastor died. So he's looking for that home church out here. It's been kind of hard to find a real humble church for them and actually preaches the word and not just come up and have a big show. You know, I don't really want to come to church for a show. I want to hear the word. In front of Word of Life's church, there is a barber shop with two vintage red leather chairs. In the back is the worship hall and church offices. The bishop, Bishop Carlton Leonard, he's also a barber. Every Wednesday, the church holds a food pantry. It brings a lot of people here, like Thomas, to grab cakes and cookies, sliced bread, and cans of food including a can that's lost its label, known as the mystery can. With the mystery can today, you get a free cookie. If you take a mystery can, you get a free cookie. A free cookie with every mystery can. Bishop Leonard gathers the crowd. It's about 30 people on an average Wednesday. Before they pass out food, they pray. It's so good to have you all. We uh, see a lot of new faces. Uh, thank you for coming out. Uh, what we want to do before we start, um, we want to just pray. So could you be so kind as to touch someone? It's a good thing for us to pray. Amen. Amen. Because you never know um, what someone is going through. You know, sometimes uh, we be smiling on the outside, Amen. but we're crying on the inside. <laughs> and we're strong on the outside, but there's a lot of brokenness on the inside. And this gets at something essential about what church can provide. You can be broken without being made to feel weak. It's a place you can cry in public, pound your chest in joy or pain or rapture. This is what Thomas Hutchins is shopping for. To have that foundation, to have that backbone, that structure, you need church. You know, if, if you just you get stood up and give a testimony every Sunday because you've been hurt, that's your venting point. You can't always vent to your wife or to your husband or to your friends. They just don't know. Sometimes you just want to just tell people shut up, just so you can talk and get off and get off, get you know, get chest. That's what church is for. You stand up, say your testimony, you sit down. Everybody's keeping you in prayers. That's all you need sometimes. Thomas says where he grew up in Oakland, in a neighborhood known as the Deep East, things were rough. He remembers finding a gun on a playground when he was just a kid. A lot of the kids he grew up with are dead now or in jail. Thomas talks about this box this sort of limited set of possibilities that came with growing up where he did. People that's used to, used to a certain thing can't accept the change when they get it. You know, they stuck in that box. They comfortable with that 
one, two bedroom house with eight people staying there. No, come out here and get you a four or five bedroom house with space. Tell the kids, go downstairs. I'm upstairs, leave me alone. It's, it's start fresh, you know. Just go outside in the backyard. I ain't no backyards in Oakland. You know, once you come out here and you see what you, what and how you could be living, make you change your mind. Never lose focus on where you was raised, where you came from, but you know, you gotta, you gotta grow. It's a sort of dual citizenship. Even though Thomas is raising his children here, he's still got this allegiance to Oakland. So do his kids, but it's different for them. They adapted, so they talk proper. <laughs> and it's funny, like I never had white friends growing up. Thomas is glad that his kids can be comfortable in all of these worlds. Well, I go pick up my kids here, they, they like, 10 black kids. <laughs> But I like that, though. I felt different coming out here because I was around all blacks. Now, my kids go out and be around all blacks. They're like, hold on. It's, it's just it's different. I'm like, no, you got to be in tune with your people, too. Which is in part why he's looking for a black church to take his kids to, so they can experience that safe black space for themselves. And being safe is important. The promise of the suburbs is real for Thomas. But some things out here have actually felt worse. I've been pulled over more times in a week than I've been pulled over my whole life in Oakland. But, you know, I've been blessed. I never went down with no dope charge, no, no serious cases. It's just driving on suspended license. My bad. Next time I know. But, you know, it's just it's, the stereotype is real. There are parts of Antioch that are like deep East Oakland where Thomas grew up. The names of the housing projects have changed. But Thomas says he felt the same a sort of lingering fear and anxiety as he walked down the street. There's one street in Antioch, just a few blocks from downtown, not far from one of the town's two main high schools, Sycamore Street. It's lined with shabby apartment complexes, some boarded up buildings. Thomas moved around a bunch. One of his addresses was on Sycamore. You move from Oakland to Little Oakland uh, in Antioch. Shootings every day. That nighttime was crazy. I never dropped on the ground and covered my head from gunshots in Oakland. I did it in Antioch, because right outside my goddamn window. Thomas and his wife got steady work, enough so they could afford to rent a house with a back porch and a view of the rolling hills. In some ways, he hates it here. The weather, for one. He never had allergies before. Now he's always stuffed up, and he hates the heat. When you're driving back towards the bay from the suburbs, just before you get to Oakland, you drive through this tunnel, the Caldecott Tunnel. Thomas says every time he passes through it and emerges on the Oakland side, he just feels better. His sinus is clear, the heat drops. It just feels right. Still, he's glad he moved. He wouldn't change that. Thomas tells the bishop he'll be back next week. So I'm gonna see you uh, Sunday morning. Thank you for everything today. I appreciate it, God bless you. And have a good day. <laughs> Thomas doesn't go back on Sunday. Working seven days a week, he says it's hard to make time. He's still in the market for a new church. Pastor Lamont Francis knows it's hard to get people to wake up early on a Sunday morning. But Sunday morning is just one day of the week. This is why we believe that it's, an, it's important to have a black church because black churches do more than just come together to have church for two hours. There's the Wednesday night Bible study, or the men's group, 
that meets on Tuesdays at the pastor's home. Then there was a Saturday night last fall where the church called people together for a pretty tough conversation. Good evening. Okay, I just want to make sure you guys are awake. More and more videos of black men killed by police were going viral. Across the country, a lot of people were talking about police and communities of color. In Antioch, Lamont felt there wasn't really a space for this kind of dialogue. There's no Black Lives Matter, and he says, out here, people don't like to talk about race. So he and some of his fellow black clergy decided to host a community forum at his church. About 50 people were in attendance. It was mostly African-Americans, but not all. Fear is something that we have to learn how to deal with. That's Mark Hicks. He was an Oakland police officer for 30 years. He's from Oakland originally. He lives in Antioch, and he's a black man. So he came to speak at the forum tonight to share his police perspective as an African-American cop. You have to realize that from the perspective of an officer, every day that we put on that bulletproof vest, and that badge, and we wear that gun on our hip, it's a situation where you realize, hey, you might not return home from work that day to your family. That's a comment Antioch resident Shamira Furman kind of took issue with. What's frustrating to me about hearing fear from police officers is if you don't think that we go through the same fears. We understand you guys do. You choose to be in this position. We don't always choose to be in our, our neighborhoods that we have to walk through just as you do. We don't have bulletproof vests. We don't have guns to protect ourselves. We got to get to to know those, those dope boys. We got to, because hey, we can walk around and be going to school, and if they know us, we might have a chance if something's about to go down. But we have to get to know them. We have to put ourselves in harm's way to be safe. So when I hear police officers talk about, hey, you don't know, what we're going through, there could be things that, that may be transpiring that you guys didn't hear of, or we got to think of all these different options. So do we. So do we. And that's not fair to assume that we don't. We have to teach our kids the same thing. Sorry. I just had this conversation with my 14-year-old. So, excuse me. There's a moment that happens when one person's story intersects with someone else's story and two people cross dividing lines to see each other fully. Mark, the retired Oakland police officer, he tells Shamira he hears her. And here's what's remarkable, but perhaps not surprising. These two kind of know each other. Those same blocks Mark used to patrol in Oakland, that's where Shamira grew up. I recognized you before I got in here, don't worry. Two people, both from Oakland, who both, in different ways and for different reasons, found their way to Antioch. After the forum is over and Shamira is standing around chatting, Mark comes up behind her. He puts his chin on her shoulder gently, sort of surprising her, really just saying hello. It's a sweet gesture. Did you get it out? I love it. No, you, no, you gotta get you, it out. It was really, as soon as you, I came in, I was like, I know him. A <laughs> little less gray back then, but I know him. And not in a bad way. It never That's came good. out in a bad way. And you know what? You know what? Before, I always used to wonder, like, oh, God, was it, a, in it, was it in, a, in a good or bad way? But then one day I started saying, you know what? I wasn't a bad cop. Yeah, there's times I had to get physical, but... I, I did what I was supposed to do, so no, I, I wasn't. So I don't ask that question anymore. 
if these two hadn't been part of this migration from Oakland to Antioch, maybe this moment wouldn't have happened. But there's something telling about finding each other here in a black church in Antioch. Maybe that's why black church is so important out here. It can create a space to share what it's like, what it's like to be black in Antioch, a space to come together and talk about how to survive an exodus. Next on American Suburb, when a fire at a mosque means you don't feel welcome even at home. It felt like I was reacting like somebody put a person on fire and somebody that we knew. We felt that uh, we were not wanted. It was a very weird feeling. It was, uh, it was, it was being like homeless. I would get, uh, you know, pulls on the back of my scarf from, you know, kids walking behind me. I would get, is your dad a terrorist? If you noticed, uh, there are good 16 cameras now. People don't know their neighbors. You know, a lot of these houses are built with the garage as the main feature. And they can pull into their garage and watch their surround sound home theater and not have to do much with their neighbors. Even within my own family, you know, they, they said, you know, we should not do this because we're just going to go and bring out more tension. We shouldn't be here. You know, it's, it's a signal. It's a sign. You're listening to American Suburb from KQED. I'm Sandhya Dirks. And I'm Devin Kadiyama. Thank you to the San Francisco Foundation for supporting this project. American Suburb was edited by Julia McAvoy. Executive producers are Holly Kernan and Ethan Lindsay. And if you like American Suburb, subscribe to us and rate us wherever you get your podcasts. We'll see you next time. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. Do you love learning about the San Francisco Bay Area? Its history, its people, its unique blend of cultures? Then you should check out the Bay Curious book. I'm Katrina Schwartz, editor and producer on the Bay Curious podcast, and I'm here to let you know that for the month of May, we've worked out a sweet deal for KQED podcast listeners. Right now, you can get the Bay Curious ebook for $1.99. That's right, $1.99. Just search for Bay Curious wherever you get your ebooks or find a link in our show notes. This offer does expire at the end of the month, though, so you'll want to act on it fast. Happy reading!